On today's podcast, from the North Walhalla Church of God, Mike Terramano shares a message to help you break out of the fear failure loop. Today's message is from Wednesday, April 18th, 2018. Now here's your speaker, Mike Terramano. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you. So yeah, I'm breaking a little bit of the rules by not reading my scripture reference first. That's like preaching 101. So, you know, but the pastor's not here, so he can't gig me on my, uh, on my evaluation sheet. So, um, so tonight's message, um, it kind of goes along with this new journey that Terry and I have just stepped off into. And this journey that we have stepped off into is the fact that our four-year-old son, Ethan, is now playing t-ball. Yes. So as you well know, we have a daughter, she's six, but she doesn't care about organized sports at all. She wants to dance and eat. And so, uh, you know, so this is our first real experience in this whole thing of sports with our kids. I mean, we are just, we just had our, his first game last night, I think it was his first game. And so we're in this new world of watching our son experience uh, success, so to speak, Right? But then, of course, with that comes failure. Absolutely, right? So here I am trying to usher this little boy through life who is experiencing his first failures because, of course, what we do is, you know, we allow things and systems and structures and organizations and institutions to define success for us. So, of course, he learned really, really quickly that hitting the ball equals success and missing the ball equals failure, right? Stopping the ball when it rolls to him uh, equals success, but not being able to make the throw to first base equals failure. And so here we are trying to figure out how to usher him through, and I have no idea how to do it. I have no idea what I'm doing in coaching him through this, but this, this is kind of the context. This is what I want you to think about when it comes to um, failure. And this goes along, and I'm gonna, I gotta break another rule, I am so sorry, but it's 80 degrees today, and the pastor's not here, and so I'm taking off my jacket. I wore it on stage at least, so at least I did that. So, we talked about fear um, previously, and if you remember we talked about fear, fear is rooted in our lack of control. Okay, the fear, the feeling, the emotion of fear, it's rooted in our lack of control. If we don't have control over something, we're afraid, right? So if we go into a job interview, right, and we're looking for a promotion or some type of a raise, we really don't have much control over the decision that is going to be made. So we have fear about that thing. Um, the reason why we're afraid of heights is because, of course, if we fall, we don't have much control over gravity. So that's where fear comes from. There's a fear of snakes or cockroaches or spiders or whatever it is, and it comes from the fact that we cannot control uh, that thing. And so fear is rooted in control. And what we talked about last time was that the Bible tells us about fear. And in fact, it says what? There's a two-word phrase. It says for us to fear not, right? And it says it a bunch of times in there. But what's really cool about the phrase fear not in the scriptures is that it's always, I shouldn't say always, it's typically, it's often paired up with instructions, so when the scriptures say, when the Bible tells us to fear not, it's then followed up with something else, which is pretty refreshing. Because if it just said fear not, that's kind of an open-ended statement or command, isn't it? It's kind of an open-ended suggestion. Jose, don't be afraid. Well, okay, that doesn't do much for me, right? See, what God does is he pairs it up with some type of instructions, right? So um, when Jesus was born, right, and the shepherds were afraid, right, the angels said, fear not, for behold, I've got good news 
right? So it's always paired with fear not for I will be with you, right? So fear not is always paired up with instructions that God gives us to help us work through fear. Well, what I want you to see, what I want you to understand is that fear is actually really closely related to failure. Fear and failure are very closely related. And so maybe before the end of this, um, You'll, uh, you'll, you'll agree with me on that. And so, you know, the great theologian, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said the only thing we have to fear, of course, is fear itself. Uh, I think that's someone who said that. Maybe I got that wrong. But anyway, um, but what I want to do is I want to look at, uh, b- before we go to failure, I want you to see something that's in, in 2 Timothy. So in 2 Timothy 1-7, we see this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, and say this with me, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So that right there tells me that fear is of the flesh. Fear is of the flesh, but power, love, and a sound mind, that is of the spirit, right? And so we, we go into this thing. See, when, when I talked about fear, when I unpacked fear, the idea, the idea is to get you to better understand fear, right? Because if, if, if you can better understand fear, then you can better control it in your life, right? It's like anything else. I mean, um, so over the last couple of years, my lawnmower has failed and failed and failed me, and I have continued to fix it and fix it and fix it. And when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing, right? But of course, what happens is as you learn something, as you get, become more familiar with something, you learn how to control it, right? So I learned, oh, okay, well, if I replace the blades you know, every once in a while, maybe it'll make my lawnmower last longer. So if we can be better equipped in understanding fear, we can be better equipped to control it and recognize it when it comes in because fear is of the flesh. We were not given a spirit of fear, right? So it connects, uh, what I want to see is there's a fear failure loop. I call this a fear failure loop. And if you're a note taker, I really want you to write that down. Um, Maybe you can like afterwards, if you just want to, maybe I could text it to you after church or something like that, or put it in your phone right now or text it to your friend or something. The fear failure loop. Because if you think about it, what happens is we're afraid. Okay, let's let's start with failure. If we fail, what happens, right? We become afraid. And then when we're afraid, it may lead to another failure. Because when we're afraid, we're we're focusing on that instead of focusing on power, right? We're, We're focusing on the fear. And so then all of a sudden, we experience another failure. And before you know it, we're caught in the fear failure loop, right? If you think about, and I think about my son, like I think about Ethan, when he experiences a failure on the t-ball field, the first thing he does, he drops his shoulder and he puts his lip out and he kind of saunters over to the side or whatever, right? And you can see in just that small little example, like there he is kind of caught in the fear failure loop, right? Because the idea is that you have to overcome the fear, pick the bat up and do it again. And when he does that, of course, we celebrate and we're excited because he's kind of overcome that fear failure loop. And so what it creates in us, if we get caught in the fear failure loop, it creates reluctance, right? We're reluctant to like move and do something and like kind of get out there because we're just kind of caught in this loop. We go from fear back to failure, back to fear because, fa- you know, fear is the lack of control. So I don't have control. So I'm probably going to fail. So as soon as I fail, it re, you know, it reiterates in my mind that I'm, that, that I don't have control over something and it goes like that loop. And what I want you to do is I want you to, I want to help you break out of that loop, 
I don't want you to live in the loop. All right? I want you to get beyond. I want you to get outside of the fear of failure loop. And see, here's the thing about failure. If we're not careful, see, this was really cool about the song choice uh, that we had tonight when it says it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it all. See, aren't we guilty of the world defining success for us? We are so guilty of letting the world define lots of things, define truth, uh, define success, define happiness. We let the world define joy. We let the world define all kinds of things, don't we? We allow ourselves to kind of subscribe to what the world says about different things. And we take it and we say, yes, and that includes success. And if I had time... I would get into one of my favorite scriptures right now. It's in Second, it's in second Corinthians, where, where Paul is essentially telling the church at Corinth that being successful is being found faithful. Being successful is being found faithful. He was trying to change their perspective, change their mentality about what success is, because we, if we subscribe to what the world says about success, then we also subscribe to what the world says about failure, right? And failure essentially to the world results in, okay, if we experience failure the way the world defines it, it results in one mentality. And that mentality is this, I'm not blank enough, It results in a mentality where we say, I'm not smart enough, I'm not fast enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not successful enough, I'm not powerful enough, um, my family is not connected enough, um, I haven't done enough, I haven't whatever. Right? You see how that happens? When we subscribe to the world's definition of success, right, and then we we experience failure, we then, see, and this is why, if you've heard the phrase, the battlefield of the mind, some rich, famous person who wrote a book or something came up with this phrase, the battlefield of the mind, because that's what happens, isn't it? Isn't that where the the battle is fought in our minds, right? So many times the battle is fought in our minds because we hear those voices. We hear the voices when we experience the failure that says, you are not whatever enough. You're not successful enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not powerful enough. And then we start to define failure in our life that way. And guess what? Paul gives us so many other definitions, and he, he totally gives us a different definition and understanding of failure. And I want you to understand three things that failure indicates. There are three things that failure indicates and, and these, these, these are the good things. These are the things that Paul tells us. These are not the things that the world tells us. These are not the things that Facebook tells us. These are not the things that TV tells us. These are not the things that Hollywood you know, tries to tell us when it comes to, to failure. And the first thing is this. The first thing is this. Failure indicates that you tried. Failure indicates that you try. Do you know who never fails? People who don't try, that's exactly right. And you're like, okay, Mike, that's probably the most obvious statement. Well, okay, I had to start with something, you know, I, I, had to, I had to build myself up. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. But 
Failure in, should indicate, see, this is what I want to do. I want to help you kind of, I want to help you retrain your brain that instead of thinking, well, I wasn't successful, you know, I, I failed. Failure indicates that I am not successful and I can't do it. And now I'm in the fear of failure loop. Instead, I want failure to be an indication that you try. Because after all, like I said, people who don't try don't fail. That's right. They never experienced the failure. So Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, check this out. This is, this is so good. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, here's what I want you to understand. The fact that you failed says that you made, you made a statement that you were not happy to be here, and you said, I'm go, I, I am not just going to sit here and be content with this. I want to get to that next place. I want to, I want to advance. I want to take that next step, and so you do that, and so you do that. See, that's what failure actually indicates. It indicates that you are going toward the prize. See, but the problem is, is that the world says, well, when you fail, okay, well, then you should just stop taking those steps. And that's, see, let's go back to verse 13, because look what Paul says in verse 13, because you missed it when I went through it the first time. What does he say right there in the middle? He says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Do you hear what Paul is telling you to do? Get out of the fear failure loop right? The world wants to remind you about the things that you did. The world loves nothing better than to remind you. I'm telling you that there is an enemy. It is Satan and he and his boys, they would love nothing better than to remind you of all the stupid things that you've done. He wants you to think about those things. He doesn't want you to forget. He doesn't want you to forget and then live the abundant life that Jesus has for you. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to live in those things. He wants you to remember those things. And he wants to be the voice that speaks those things to you. See, the fact that you failed indicates that you tried. And the enemy does not want you to forget. But Paul says, I'm gonna forget about those things and I'm gonna work toward the prize. I'm going to work toward the prize. Second thing, the second thing that failure indicates is it indicates your limit. It indicates your limit. Let me, let me, uh, let me expand on this in this way. So there was this, there's this old board game that's probably been turned into video games and computer games and all these other types of digital things. And I imagine we probably have it on our phones. I don't even know. But it was this game called Monopoly. It was this old board game called Monopoly, right? And um, Monopoly, for those of you that don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll get you caught up on the 1980s and 90s, or I don't know, I guess Monopoly is probably older than that. But essentially, you know, you buy some properties, you buy some, some real estate in this little board game, and eventually the idea is that if, if Jonathan lands on my space, then he has to pay me rent for this property that I own. And there were a bunch of different colors, you know, there were the blue ones and the red ones and the green ones, and, and this board had all these different colors. And that's where we get Boardwalk and Park Place from and lots of cool 
um, pop culture references and things like that. Well, essentially, a monopoly, which may have caused you know serious dissension in your family. There may have been cousins that didn't speak for years after Thanksgiving or Christmas break, involving a, a game of monopoly and a couple of hotels. But anyway, there was essentially a couple of strategies when it comes when it came to monopoly. And the first one was if you landed on a property, you were supposed to stop and decide if you wanted to buy that property and add it to your collection, or maybe you just wanted to pass. But then there was the other uh, strategy that people had, which was just buy everything, right? If you landed on the purple space, you buy the purple space. I'll figure it out later. You land on the blue space, you buy the blue one. We'll figure it out later. And you just bought it all up, right? I bet you there's people in this room who sometimes you go into life that way, where anyone asks you anything, you're a yes man or a yes woman, and you have a really hard time saying no. Is anybody brave enough to admit that they are a person who has a hard time saying no? Because that's definitely me, right? The boss man comes to me and says, hey, I need you to do something. I'm your man. Let me have it. But what's the problem with that, right? You end up with way too many irons in the fire, right? And before you know it, you experience a failure. Eventually, and of course, the idea about irons in the fire is that you, ha- you can't manage all of these things at once. And eventually, what's going to happen, of course? You're going to fail at one of those things, And what does it teach you? It teaches you, you've got a limit. Now, for those of you type A um, perfectionist personalities in here, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you do have a limit, okay? There There are some things you cannot do. I know you would like to say that you are perfect and the best at everything, but it's just not the case. And some of you are nudging your elbow or your neighbor, please stop. Stop giving people the look that are sitting next to you. This wasn't my intention. But either way, failure indicates to you that you have a limit. See, one of the things that I like to do is I, I try to stay fit. I work out a couple of days a week. I go to the gym and I, I try to lose the donut belly as best as I can. And, uh, and one of the things that I've learned after years of working out is that we hate to work on our weaknesses, don't we? We hate working on our weakness. If you do not like public speaking, you will run away from public speaking as fast as you possibly can, right? Pastor was up here just the other day, um, or maybe I think it was uh, Russell was up here, and he was asking for people to join the choir. And some of you immediately went, eh, not me, no way, no how, right? We f- see our weaknesses, and we immediately run away from them, right? And if I can encourage you in, in one way, like, listen, this is a life skill um, for everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are. This is a life skill for you. Let me just tell you this. If you can master the art of self-awareness, if you can become aware of who you are in Christ, okay, if you can be better aware of who you are, you know your strengths, but even more so, if you can know your weaknesses, are you kidding me? You will be a better parent. You will be a better worker. You will be a better supervisor. You will be a better husband. You will be a better wife. You will be a better parent. I am telling you, if you can practice the art of of self-awareness, understanding yourself, you are going to see that you have limitations. And sometimes we experience those things in failure, right? Failure indicates to us a limitation. And when we find out that we have a limitation, we find out our weaknesses. And then that's what I was talking about, about working out in the gym, right? I don't want to work on my core, and that's a really weak area for me. 
And those go hand in hand. But this, this is what's so cool about the gospel. So Paul writes in his second letter to the church at Corinth, or at least the letter that we refer to as 2 Corinthians. Check this out. And he said to me, so who is he in this? Who is he? God. Okay, so yeah, so Paul is talking about what the Lord has said to him. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? So God is talking to Paul and says, my grace is sufficient for you. And notice what God says to Paul about his weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. See, do you understand? See, this is what's so cool. See, this is what's so cool about this. When we experience failure, the world says, um, you know, that, that the world reminds you of that, or we experience failures in our life, the world tries to point that out and magnify it and tell you you're no good and try to define your value. But instead, Paul tells us that, see, if we, if we realize that failure indicates to us our limit, then when we realize our limits and we realize we have a weakness, in the end, look what happens. God is glorified. That is so, so good. See, because that's the thing. What does the world want us to do with our weaknesses? The world wants us to hide our weaknesses, don't they? The world wants us to take our weaknesses, put them in a box, and leave them you know, kind of beside us, and don't bring them out, don't talk about them, right? Don't celebrate them. We're going to avoid them at all cost, right? Because... Um, can we... Yeah, okay, so, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Do you see what Paul does? He takes the entire definition of failure, and he totally flips it around. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going imbo- to boast in my weaknesses, because that's when he is glorified. Because I have to say, Lord, I can't do this, you can. And that's where he gets the glory. How cool is that? He takes the world's definition of failure, and he totally flips it around. Do you, see how we can re- Do you see how we can reprogram our brains? We can, we can, we can fight the battlefield of the mind by, by letting this scripture sink in and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, number one, remember I said it indicates that you tried. No, you know what? I am taking a step towards the prize. I'm going towards the prize. I'm going towards the prize, and I'm going to forget about that. I'm not going to let the world remind me of that, right? And then number two, no, I know that I've got a limit. I know when I, when I fail, it's because I've got a limit. I've got a limit. I have a weakness there, so he's going to be glorified because his strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? See, A lot of us don't want to admit this, but guess what? You can only do so much. He makes up the difference. Which is why, see, and that's why the relationship between like, uh, that's why the the relationship between us and Christ is so often described as the marriage relationship. Because the marriage relationship is intended to be uh, Two people who, uh, th- that's why God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create, I'm going to give you a, a help meet, someone who, who is the other part of you. And so what, what God's trying to reiterate to you, what, what Paul is saying is, listen, right, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect, which, is, which should be humbling too, because what he's saying is like, I'm going to meet you in that weakness. I am going to meet you in that weakness, and then boom. God's perfection shows up. 
So number one, it indicates that you tried. Number two, it indicates that your limit. And number three, it indicates your growth. Failure indicates your growth. Now, this is the one where you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. So I was good with you on the whole try thing, and I'm good with you on the limit thing. Okay, but I, let me, I, I'm not really buying this whole growth thing. Well, here's the thing. Remember, what we're, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're understanding that the Scripture's definition of failure is different than the world's definition of failure. So if the world's definition of failure equals stunted growth, then the Scripture's definition of failure is stimulated growth. And I'm going to prove it. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Verse 4. And perseverance produces character. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, Next Sunday morning, I'm going to preach about the difference between character and reputation. You're not going to want to miss it. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about the difference between character right, and reputation. Who you are versus who you project who you are. You don't want to miss it next Sunday morning, character versus reputation. So tribulation, let's go back to verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3. Squirrel moment. So tribulations, tribulation produces perseverance. Verse 4, perseverance produces character, character produces hope in verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, remember what I said. The world says that failure indicates stunted growth, but the scripture says that failure indicates stimulated growth. See, if you remember the previous scriptures that we were talking about where Paul is celebrating his infirmity, he's like celebrating his weaknesses. Now, now what he's saying in his, in his letter to the Romans, he's saying, listen, we can celebrate in those moments of weakness, in those moments that are not our favorite moments. We can actually celebrate that because we're going to grow through those things. See, this, see how well it pairs up with the fact that he said, we're going to celebrate that because God is going to get the glory for the weakness. But we see here that we are actually going to experience like growth. And when, see, and when you celebrate growth in a failure, do you see how that helps you overcome that fear of failure loop? Do you see how that's an interruption to the fear of failure loop? Remember I was talking about with Ethan playing t-ball. Right? If I can reiterate, if I can drive home to him the point, like, listen, like, when you fail at t-ball, it's an opportunity. You're going to grow in your t-ball skills. And Paul's, he's, he's not saying something much different than that. He's saying, listen, you're going to grow. And here's, see, if you can't go back to four, let's go back just one verse real quick. Because he gets us to hope. I mean, hope, I don't even have time. I don't have time to talk about, talk about hope. I mean, that is so powerful. Do you, Let's be serious. The world does not, the enemy, Satan and the world do not want you to connect failure and hope. No way. They don't want you. He does not want you to think that those two are in any way connected. But Paul just laid that out for us. See, because what we're doing is we're retraining our brains to that everything point back to the cross. 
See that? See what we're trying to do? We're trying to retrain our brain. See, that's the thing. Fear, remember we talked about fear. We want to retrain our brains not to just get caught in the fear. I don't have control. I don't know what to do. Because we talked about when you get afraid, what's one of the first things that you do is you stop. When you're afraid, one of the first things you do is stop, right? And if we can get out of that mindset, we'll keep going, to pressing toward the mark, pressing toward the prize, Right? If we can get out of that fear mentality. So if we can get out of the failure mentality, we'll see that that failure is going to ultimately lead to the hope of the cross. So what if, what if we leave here tonight and we start to let our brains redefine failure? That's the goal. So one of the things that Jesus does whenever he, has, whenever he gives us a really uh, a sermon, like Sermon on the Mount, whenever he does something, like gives a good message, a good sermon, he, at the end, he always says, he always gives us an action. Because information without application is, is, is not much. It's not worth much, right? So Jesus, for example, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore... Right, so I've given, I've given you a bunch of information. Now there's an application for what you should do with it. Right? When Jesus got done with his ministry on earth, what did he do? He gave us an action. That was the last thing he said before he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. Right? He gave us a bunch of information over the course of three and a half years, and then what did he do? He gave us an action. He said, go tell others. See, because this is the thing. As we experience failure, right, we understand our weakness and his power is made perfect. His strength is made perfect in that weakness, right? We remind ourselves that we tried, we took that step. We didn't stay happy in this perfect little zone right here. We took a step towards there. Maybe we did take a little bit of a stumble, but we're working towards, right, the mark, right? When we do that, when, when we experience and see the growth where it, it takes us through perseverance and it takes us through experience and we, uh, and we ultimately end up at hope, then what we do is we realize that Jesus telling us to go out and tell other people, we want to tell other people. We want to go out and tell other people, right? We want to go out and tell other people, right? Right? That's what I'm saying. That's, our, that's the action that we're called to with information, right? And so when we can take this and we can celebrate it and we can transform our minds with it, as we're also called in, in Paul's letters to do, then we can go out and tell others and say, listen, I've had a transformation and I've got to tell you about it. Because that failure that you're experiencing in life, I can tell you how to overcome it. I can tell you about a guy. I can tell you about a man named Jesus and what he did for me and how he crawled onto that cross for me. And I want you to understand what it accomplished and what it can accomplish in your life and how you can take that definition of life that the world is trying to give you and you can turn it into the abundant life, which is the definition that Jesus has for you. That's what we want to be excited about. That's what we want to be going out and telling other people. So... I, I wrote this, this is kind of my final, my, my final point here on the, on the definition, on redefining a failure. Instead of a lack of completion, see, this is what I want you to understand. The world is telling us that failure is a lack of completion, but Paul tells us that, that failure is a lack of complacency. Did you catch that? Right? Because we're not being complacent. 
Failure indicates that we decided not to be complacent. I decided to go after that next step. I decided to move out of this comfortable little box and go towards that. See, and the, instead of saying failure indicates that I didn't finish, failure indicates that I didn't settle. Instead of saying, instead of failure saying I, I'm going nowhere, uh, failure says I'm growing somewhere. So, we talked about fear and we talked about failure. I want you to get out of that mind. I want you to get out of that loop, the fear-failure loop, right? And there's a man named Jesus, and there's a writer named Paul who spells that out so nicely for us. Amen? Won't you stand and we'll be dismissed. I'm going to get you out of here early. Pastor's here. I couldn't hold him until 8. You, you got something to share, or uh, you're just going to give a hand wave? So there you go. Sounds good. All right. So... Let's stand and, uh, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here. Um, so Sunday morning, Pastor will be back in the pulpit. And uh, like I said, college and career coming up uh, next Sunday morning. All right. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this, uh, this time. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here to gather together, Lord. We thank you for the power of the scriptures, and we thank you for the power of the cross, Lord. Thank you that, uh, that the scriptures work to redefine things, Lord, that they work to uh, retrain our brains in these new thought processes, Lord, that, that we can get out of that fear and failure, failure loop, Lord, that the enemy would have us to live in, Lord. Help us to live uh, the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.